It's so good to worship with you this morning and to be here this morning. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, to go ahead and grab your Bible. And whether you have one with you or you use your phone or you want to grab the Bible in the seat in front of you, I'd, I'd invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're just going to, we're going to be there in a moment. It's going to be a little while, so you just mark it, put your thumb there, open the app, go to Philippians chapter 4. If you're in one of the black chair Bibles there, uh, we're on page 982. So you could flip to there and we'll be there in Philippians 4 in just a little bit. Now, if you've been with us at Mount Hope over the last few weeks, either here in Burlington or in our Belmont location, you know that we've been walking through and talking about some of our most important relationships. In fact, if you've been with us over the years at Mount Hope, you know that every November we pause for a moment and we think it's important at least once a year to talk through some of our most important relationships. God has a lot to say about our relationships in his book. And so we figure at least once a year, we should hit the pause button and say, okay, what does God have to say to us about our most important relationships? And this year, we've, we've called this series, This Is Us, and we've been asking the question, you know, what does God have to say when there is an us? One thing that you know for sure that you and I probably know if you've ever been in relationship with somebody else is that anytime you have an us, uh, it gets complicated quickly, doesn't it? In fact, two weeks ago, we talked about marriage, and we talked about the fact that in marriage, you have uh, one plus one equaling us, right? So whenever you have two individuals coming together to form an us in marriage, a man and a wife come together and become, are married, as they become one, the Bible says, and they create an us, uh, it gets tricky quickly. And I've met with many engaged couples over the years and performed their wedding ceremonies. And every single time, it's they, they always are the ones. They're the ones that are going to avoid all unhappiness and unpleasantness in their marriage. They've seen everyone else uh, uh, suffer some tension in marriage, but they believe they're the ones uh, that are going to get through it unscathed. But those of us who have been married for longer than five minutes, we understand that at some point, at some point, there's going to be tension in marriage, right? You take two people and make an us, there's going to be tension at some point. And what we said two weeks ago is we said this. We said the tension in marriage is there to get you to pay attention to something bigger than yourself. That the tension is there in marriage to get you to pay attention to something bigger than yourself. A lot of that tension comes from the fact that I'm trying to build my thing and my wife's trying to build her thing and we forget that we're really supposed to be building God's thing together. So that tension is there to get us to pay attention to something bigger than ourselves. And then last week we talked about parenting. And right, if you think that one plus one equals us is complex, we'll add some more numbers to the us, right? And you just add complexity. So when you have a child, now it's one plus one plus one equals us. And that brings a new challenge and new complexity to the relationship and to the us. You hear my voice this morning, right? That's because I have three other little people that are a part of our us. Ours is one plus one plus three equals us. And every day we send them to this Petri dish we call school. And then they go and they pick up all sorts of stuff and they bring it home. And, and so now I sound like this, right? That's how it works. And so, and my, this morning, my youngest daughter, we have an 18 month old daughter. Uh, her name is Nora. She was at the doctor's office at eight o'clock this morning because she's even worse off than I am. And she's fine and they gave her some antibiotics, but it just makes life complicated, doesn't it? It's just complex. So it's one plus one equals us. Or for some of you, it's one plus two equals us. For me, it's one plus three equals us. For some of you, you're, you're really 
you know, crazy. And it's one plus one plus four equals us. We even have some sixes over here somewhere. It's one plus one plus six equals us. And the weirds were in the first service. It's one plus one plus, I don't even know, there's more kids every week in their family. They're adopting more kids. And, and so it's just constantly growing. And, and it just, every time there's more, it just brings greater complexity into the relationship. And we said, we said last week, we said, when we're in a role when we're in a role where someone younger than us looks up to us, and it's not just you that are parents, you probably have someone younger than you in your life that looks up to you. Niece, nephew, cousin, coworker. All of us rely on something for our daily salvation. All of us rely on something to have our daily needs met. And we said last week, what we rely on gets passed on. Not what we say we rely on. Not what we say we rely on, but what we actually rely on, what people see us relying on every single moment of every single day, that value gets passed on. And so we ought to be relying on God for all that we need so that would get passed on to the generation behind us. And today we're talking about single life and dating, and that is complex in its own way, isn't it? And we'll get to that in just a moment. Next week, next week I just want to mention, because I think this is going to be such an important week for a lot of us. Next week, uh, we're going to ask this question. What do you do and what does God have to say when you look around at your relationships and it is not the way it's supposed to be? What do you do then? That's happened to all of us. What do you do when you look around and, and you thought that if you did everything God wanted you to do and read the book and sang the songs and went to all the church stuff, that all your relationship stuff would be smooth and easy. And you look around and you thought if you got married, it would be super easy and it's not. And you thought you'd be married by now and you're not. Or you thought you'd have kids and that would be smooth sailing and it's not. Or you thought you would have kids by now and you don't. What do you do when you look around and you say to yourself, those riders at the Hallmark movie channel are full of it. <laughs> and you say, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. What do you do then? God has something to say to all of us in that place. We're going to talk about that next week. But this morning, it is singles and dating. And some of you, some of you are sitting here this morning and you're looking at me. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're looking at me and you're saying to me, finally, it's about time. Because we come to church and we suffer through all the marriage and parenting sermons. And thank you for at least taking a little bit of time to talk about our life situation. And for some of you, you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to me, well, this is, I'm, I'm way past this. You're far too late. Someone said to me after first service this morning, where were you 50 years ago? And I thought, well, I don't know. Not born for sure. <laughs> But I also had someone say to me uh, uh, after the first service, they said to me, I've been married for 53 years and I still needed to hear that sermon. I've been married for 53 years and God still spoke to me today. So this is what I wanna tell you. Even though we're gonna focus on single life and dating this morning, there is something here, this biblical principle that we're going to talk about. It matters, it matters for all of us. It matters for all of us. So for all of these relationship series, we've been using the same passage of scripture to frame our conversation. And uh, some of you are very familiar with this passage of scripture. 
In fact, some of us, we grew up in the church we went to growing up, we said these verses together every single week. Some of you know it as the Lord's Prayer, some of us know it as the Our Father, but we've been using this text to apply to all of our relationships. And even though you may be familiar with this text, my guess is you have never looked at this prayer in terms of your most important relationships before. The first week, we said, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what we talked about in marriage. That it's not my kingdom be done, not my will be done, but God's will done through us. In parenting, we talked about, give us this day our daily bread. What do you rely on for everything that you need? Because your kids are watching, they're watching, and they see not what you say you rely on, but what you really rely on for what you need. And this morning, we're gonna take another piece of this passage and apply it to this single and dating life. But before we get there, I'd like to ask you, would you read this text together with me? Can we read this together? Some of you, this is very familiar to do this, but let's read this together. I'm gonna read the first part of this verse where Jesus says to his disciples, pray then like this, and then let's read the rest of it together. So Jesus said to his disciples, pray then like this. Join me. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Any guesses there which phrase is going to be applied to dating and relationships? The last one, there you go. It's so predictable, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you may have seen that one coming. You may have seen that one coming, and you may have said, that's the one we're going to apply to dating and relationships. But we're going to, my guess is, we're going to apply that today not in the way you think we're going to apply it. And I'll tell you why. In the faith and in following Jesus Christ, the law And the rules that God puts forward are incredibly important. However, if you lead with the rules and only talk about the rules, apart from something else, it doesn't really work. I'll try to tell you what what I mean. I grew up in church. I grew up in church. We were at church every single Sunday. We were at youth group every single week. And some of you were like this, and, and you know what this is all about. And when I was in youth group, right, in the 90s, which I think we should forget that decade completely, but that's all right. I'm glad you're bringing it back, uh, youth group, but, but it's not as great as it may seem. So <laughs> we, we had youth group each and every week, and every year we'd talk about dating and relationships, and this is how we talked about it. This is how we talked about it. We just talked about the rules, and they would say to us, here's the deal. God has created sex, and I believe this is true. God has created sex to be for a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. I believe that's true. I believe that's what the book teaches. And so they would come, and they would say, God has created sex for this purpose. That's the only place it could be used. Don't do it anyplace else. And then we would get a little chart out. We had this big chart. And on one end of the chart, uh, they, would, they would have all the different things that, that you could do, right? And so on one end of the chart, it would be all the innocent things, and there would be things like holding hands, and there would be things like your eyes meeting across the dimly lit room, something like that over here. And then the, the chart would just, it would continue to progress. It was kissing, and then it was French kissing, and then it was kissing laying down, and don't worry, I'm going to stop. And then way over here, right? 
Way over here, it was all the crazy stuff, way over here. And we would have this conversation, and they would say, the adults that were running our youth group, they would say to us, okay, now where do, do you start sinning? Where do you start holding hands? Yeah. <laughs> That's not your perspective when you're in the youth group. But, but where do you start sinning? Where does sin happen? And so we would just, we would like have this discussion and this conversation and we would all come to different ways. And then there would be some sort of commitment piece, right? Where we all went to the conference and, and everyone put on the, the True Love Weights ring and we all signed the card and everyone threw their stick in the fire at the retreat. And we were all agreeing, we were all agreeing that we would never violate these principles that we had talked about. But we only talked about the principles. And the principle is good. God has designed sex as a, as a great thing, a great thing. But he says, because he's the creator, I think he knows best how to use it. He says that it's designed to be within the confines of a marriage. One man, one woman, married together for life. That's what he says. And I believe that's true. But when you only talk about the rule and you only talk about the law, it's so hard to keep it. And so what happened in all that conversation is that everybody went off and went to college and did whatever they wanted. But we had signed the card. We went to the conference. We all promised. I went to a large youth group back in the Midwest. There was probably about 150 of us in high school. In a vast majority of those, we went to college, did whatever we wanted, but we had made the promise. At that same time, a book came out. It was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and it took the world by storm. It was by a guy named Joshua Harris, and he had this whole new plan. We weren't going to date. We were going to be Christians. Some of you remember this book, and then, and then he met his wife, and he wrote another book called uh, Boy Meets Girl, and we all read that book about how he got married, and a couple of months ago, and maybe you saw this. A couple of months ago, very publicly, it was on CNN and everywhere else that you could look for the news, uh, Joshua Harris, after he wrote this book and, and everything else, he said uh, that he had decided not just to kiss dating goodbye, but he was kissing his marriage goodbye. He was getting divorced. He was kissing his job goodbye as a pastor of a, of a large church outside of Washington, D.C., and he was kissing his faith goodbye and was no longer a Christian. And when we just led with the rules it just doesn't work. Jesus has a lot to say about this. There were people that in his time that just led with the rules all the time. It didn't talk about anything else. And Jesus said, it doesn't work like that. You got to talk about something else. So when we talk about temptation this morning, I'm saying to you, and I hope I'm clear on this. I'm saying to you, the rules are good and godly. They're good and godly. God has rules around sex and how it is to be used. And that's a good thing. However, If we're going to talk about the real temptation that affects how we deal with that, we have to travel further upstream because there's something else happening that's leading to us not following what God says to do. And I don't think I have to explain in great detail that the world that we live in today and the world that you're dating in today thinks all of what God says about sex and relationships is is foolish and ancient and old. I don't have to prove that to you. We know that's true. So why then should you follow it? To understand that, I think we've got to talk about a temptation that happens way further upstream, that happens before any of that stuff comes into play. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you look at that section of of, of scripture, if you look at that verse that we're talking about, and lead us not into temptation, Jesus tells us to pray but deliver us from evil. Another way to translate 
that last phrase, deliver us from evil. In fact, many of your Bibles probably already translate it this way. I think this is actually the better way to translate it, in my own personal opinion, is that Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, here's the deal with temptation. Temptation does not come from God. It comes from the evil one. It comes from the enemy. It comes from Satan. It comes from the devil. You know who I'm talking about. And since the beginning of time, he has tried to tempt you and tried to tempt me in the exact same way. His methods haven't changed that much over all these years. And if we were to back up way to the beginning of the book, we would find exactly what it is, the temptation that stops us from living out our single years and living out our dating years the way that God calls us to do it. And the temptation looks something like this. It's found right there in Genesis chapter three at the beginning of the book where God creates this world. And some of you, you, you may not be that familiar with church, but you may be familiar with this story. God creates the world and he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he gives them one rule. Do you remember the rule? He gives them one rule. They're free to eat of any tree in the garden. They need food, they can go to any tree except for one tree. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only rule. And God says to them, listen, I have created you I've created you, and you will find everything you need for contentment and satisfaction and wholeness in me. Just listen to what I'm saying. I've created you, designed you for relationship with me, and you'll find everything that you need to feel whole and complete and content in relationship with me. I just got one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And our relationship will be perfect. So in chapter three, the enemy comes along. He enters the scene and it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, oh, no. No, 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 that's not what he said. And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, come on. You're not going to die. Come on. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree? Oh, no. He said we could eat of, of the trees, just this one tree. He said, if we touch it, we're going to die. And the serpent said, come on. You're not going to die. You know what the deal here is, Eve? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. God says to his creation, your design for relationship with me, your greatest sense of completion and fulfillment will be found in me alone. 
I just have a couple rules. And the enemy came and said, come on. God's not doing this for your happiness and your contentment. He's doing it for himself. And you know what he's actually doing? He's stealing your happiness and contentment. He's stealing it from you. He's not granting it to you with these rules and these regulations and these, and these borders that he's put on things. He is stealing it from you. And Eve looked back at the tree and she said, you know what? You're right. This tree looks good. And he is withholding something good from me. And she eats. God designed you and designed me to find our ultimate sense of contentment in him alone. There is no other place that can be, it can be found. God designed you and designed me to find our greatest sense of purpose and satisfaction and contentment and wholeness and fulfillment and relationship with him alone. He is the creator. We are his creation designed for relationship with him, but all throughout history, the enemy has been there to tell us over and over again that you and I can find contentment someplace else. And isn't it true that they're one of the places where we can see this at work in our culture today is right in the middle of how we choose to date and how we choose to build relationship with one another. The entire thing is built, the way that we do this, on... on the truth of one of two things. Some people are out there in the dating world today and you're out there in the dating world today and you're trying to figure out how you're going to build a relationship with someone else and you are believing that eventually you are going to find the right person. You are going to come across the right person and that right person, once you find them, is going to take all the things that are missing right now in your life, all the discontentment, all the unhappiness, all the dissatisfaction, you're gonna meet that one person and that one person, that one right person, when you meet one another, you're going to get married and it is going to solve all of your problems. Your greatest needs, your greatest sense of contentment, your greatest sense of satisfaction is going to be found all in them. That's what you believe and that's what you're looking for and that's what our world is telling you. If you just keep swiping right, eventually you'll find the face that is going to make all your problems go away, right? Look at all of us married people in the room right now. Do we look contented and filled? <laughs> Do we? And you say to me, yeah, but you don't understand. I met the perfect person and we have a, we have a song. Oh, you have a song. Well, that's great. That's great, you have a song. We all had songs too. And you said, yeah, but you don't understand. Last night we were listening on my iPhone and I have our song in four different versions and six different languages. And, and we were listening on shuffle and our song came on, okay? And then our song finished and then it shuffled through. And do you know what it played? It played our song again. And I have thousands of songs. It played our song twice. Let me tell you something. Your parents were listening to their song on a record and it got to the end of their song and the needle skipped and it bounced backwards right to the beginning of their song. (laughs) 
And to hear this, your contentment, your ultimate source of contentment and fulfillment cannot be found in another person. And some people know this. Some people have already recognized this in our world. I would actually say that it was a generation ago that truly believed they were gonna find their contentment in another person. Talk to somebody who's in college right now. Talk to someone who's in high school right now. And do you know what the belief is that's out there that is continuing to grow? The belief is, I know I'm not gonna find my contentment or satisfaction or meaning or purpose in another person, but do you know where I can find it? I can find it in myself. I don't need anybody. I can find my sense of contentment in myself. Just a few days ago, big news story. Somehow, with all the things that happened in the world, Emma Watson, the actress, came out and she declared that her relationship status is now that she is self-partnered. Did you see this? She is self-partnered. And the world celebrated, celebrated this, that such a strong person could come out and declare that they are self-partnered and that they don't need anything from anybody else other than some sort of like transactional relationship every once in a while. But they have everything that they need in themselves and a little more introspection, a little more work and self-contentment is just around the corner. But it's the same mistake just made inwardly instead of outwardly. And the whole time we miss the secret to contentment, we keep believing this lie that if we just continue to make relationships more transactional or look deeper into ourselves or look deeper into other people, that somehow we're going to fulfill this void inside of us. And despite all the evidence to the contrary, we keep going after it. And the secret to true contentment, the secret to true fulfillment is out there. But when we expect to find it in another person and we put all of that pressure on our relationships, we're going to miss it. There's this show that's on TV called The Curse of Oak Island. It's on the History Channel. I don't know if anyone else has watched it. But I was laughing at myself the other day because seven years ago, seven years ago, someone said to me, I think you'd really like this Curse for Oak Island show. And you know what this is? There's this island off the coast of Canada and they believe that, that uh, centuries ago, treasure was buried on this island. And some treasure hunters have been searching for hundreds of years for this, this uh, deposit of gold and jewels and things that, that um, they believe people from Europe brought over and left on the island. And they keep looking and looking and looking and spending money and spending money. And I started watching the show seven years ago because I thought maybe they'll find something. And somewhere in the back of my head, I have this vision and dream that being a, like a real treasure hunter would be an awesome job. And so I watch the show and I live vicariously through these people that go and use these giant machines to dig for treasure. And you know what happens week after week? They don't find it. <laughs> ever. They don't find it ever. And every time they're like, oh, we think that there's a ship buried under the ground and they go, look, it's not a ship. It's just rock or something else. But I'm watching now for seven years continuing to believe that maybe the next episode is when they'll come across millions of dollars in Spanish gold. And I'm looking at myself and I'm saying to myself the other night when I'm watching the show again and it's seventh season, I'm saying to myself, why are you wasting your time watching the show? They're never going to find anything, but I can't help myself. I've convinced myself and if I miss it, if, I'm, if it's there and I miss it, I'm going to be so disappointed. And isn't that how some of us treat our relationships? We know 
that the next dating relationship is not going to fulfill the depths of our soul because we've been there before. We've seen this episode before. But we just keep going back. We don't know what else to do. And we go back over and over and over again. Another relationship. Another try. Hoping that maybe we'll strike it rich one time. But despite all the evidence to the contrary that this is where all our hope and fulfillment and contentment is going to be found, we keep going back. Or we keep looking inside of ourselves and despite all the evidence to the contrary, we keep going back. Just about the time that Jesus lived, there was a man named Paul. And when Jesus left this earth, Paul, he began to persecute and kill the people that followed Jesus Christ. He was a powerful guy. He had all authority. He had access to a great amount of resources. He said things and people did it. Something happened to Paul. Some of you know his story. He had a radical conversion to follow Jesus Christ. And when he began to follow Jesus Christ, everything changed. Now, instead of being the man in charge who was ordering people around, he was on the run. He was being beaten for his faith. He was being imprisoned for his faith. And everything changed. And when he was in prison one time, he started to write a letter to a group of Christians that were in a town called Philippi. It's Philippians in your Bible. And he's sitting in prison and he's reflecting on all of this. And if you read through the letter, you'll hear Paul's heart in this. And he says to them, listen, I know what it's like to be on top. I know what it's like to be culturally and religiously and in authority on top of everything. I know what it's like to be in charge. And I also know what it's like to be beaten and in prison and not know where your next meal is going to come from. And I want to tell you, he says to the Christians, I have found in the midst of all of that, the secret to being content. And here's how he puts it in Philippians chapter four, verse 11. You wanna know the secret to contentment? Here it is. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Can you imagine Paul writing this, sitting in a Roman prison cell? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know the secret, Paul says. I've been there. I've been at the top. I've been at the bottom. Here's the deal. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Paul says to the Philippians, are you looking for contentment? Are you looking for contentment? He tells them this. He said, if you want to find constant contentment, if you want to find constant contentment, Paul tells us, you need to find contentment in that which is constant. If you want to find constant contentment, you need to find your contentment in that which is constant. And the only thing in our world that is constant is God himself. 
Paul's saying, you want to find true contentment? You're not going to find it any other place. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in achievement. You're not going to find it in a job title. You're not going to find it in relationship. You're not going to find it in dating. And you're not going to find it on Tinder. And you're not going to find it on Instagram. And you're not going to find it in your classmates. If you are looking for true contentment, the only place that it can be found is in the God who never changes. And the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God who never leaves you nor forsake you. And the God who created you and designed you to be in relationship with him. You want to find constant contentment. The only place to find it is in a place that is constant. And if you want to experience all the joy of what it means to be in a relationship that honors God, we have got to get this right. Because the second you start demanding from a dating relationship or from another person what they cannot give you, what they are not designed to give you, all that contentment that you're searching for continues to bubble up and boil over and you'll go further and further and further trying to find it where it can't be found. And some of you, the most important thing that you could do is not to use your time as a single person. Not some of you. The most important thing you could do is not to use your time as a single person to keep chasing and trying to figure out who the right person is. The most important thing you could do is continue to believe what it means to find contentment in Jesus Christ alone and only there so that when God does put the right person in your path, you have the opportunity for a healthy and beautiful relationship that honors him. When I find my contentment in Jesus Christ, and now I can look back at all the things that God tells me to do, and I can trust that they are right and that they are pure. That God isn't saying, listen, I've designed sex to be used in a, in a relationship between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life. God isn't saying, I've designed sex for marriage because he hates us and wants us to miss out on a good time. That's not why he's done that. It's because he loves you. And he knows where ultimate contentment is found, and it's in him. And so he's saying, if you'll trust me and find your contentment in me and find someone else who finds their contentment in me, when you come together, it will be better than you imagined it could be. And now when I go on a date, it's a different way to analyze the process. I am not asking myself, how does this person make me feel? How do they look? How do I look next to them? Are they too tall for me? Are they too short for me? Is this the right person for me? What are their job ambitions? What are the things that they like? I stop evaluating that way and I start asking questions like, this. What's God doing here? Is this a person that cares about their relationship with Jesus Christ? What's God saying to me as I'm sitting at this table? It changes the conversation when my contentment is already found in Jesus Christ. Now, don't mishear me. Marriage is a beautiful thing and can be a great blessing. It's a good gift that God gives us, but it ought not be the place where we try to find our ultimate contentment that can only come from God himself. And when we try to squeeze contentment where it can't be found, it's frustrating and painful. But when we seek contentment where it can be found, 
It's a beautiful thing. So for those of you that are sitting in the room and you're single, you're dating, you're wondering what plan God has for you. I made light a little earlier of how it used to be talked about in my, in my youth group. That's not me saying the rules aren't important. God has those rules there for a reason. But what I am saying to you is your world, this world is going to tell you that your happiness and contentment will be found if you break those rules. So you're going to grow up in church world and you're going to hear in church world, listen, don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't do it. It's not good. The people that do it get struck by lightning. It's not good. Don't do it. And then you're going to get out in the world and you're going to say, they're not getting struck by lightning. And the enemy's going to come in and the enemy's going to say, do you think God really said, I mean, look at these people. They're all having a good time. Did God really say not to do this? And you're going to look and you're going to say, huh, maybe contentment could be found there. And that's how the enemy works in our lives. He gets a hold of these things and begins to say, you know, God's only doing this to make you miserable. He's not doing it for your own good. He's done it since the very beginning of time. But don't buy the lie that you're going to find contentment where it can't be found. That you're going to find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction where it cannot be found. There's only one place it can be found, and that is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you get that right, it frees you up to go and do the things that God has called you to do. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And as they come, I just want to tell you one last story. There's a young man who grew up in the church. And at a young age, he started looking at the world and decided that, you know, what he was learning in church was not the answer. In fact, he was, he was one of these guys that he was just too smart for his own good. He was just brilliant. You ever met someone like this? They were so smart and they were so brilliant that they would look at church and they would say, well, that's just stupid and foolish. And so he was too smart for church, and so he left it. Uh, when he was 17, um, well, even before then, when he was a young man, he started hanging out with a group of, of guys that wasn't the best group to be hanging out with. And by his own admission, they would do things just like steal things for no reason. They didn't want it. They didn't need it. They weren't going to sell it. They just stole it just to be destructive. By the time he was 17, he had began a relationship with a, with a woman, and they weren't married, and they were living together, and they had a child together uh, that he loved dearly. But after about 15 years, that relationship fell apart. And all in between there, he was continuing to grow and excel and achieve. And by the end of his 27th year, he had become a professor at a prestigious university in Milan, Italy. And so he had gone and he had achieved at every level, every possible level. He had this relationship, he had a child, he had this dream job at this university. And when he was 32 years old, because of his health, he had to resign his position at the university. His relationship fell apart. And everything that he had was taken away from him. 
All those things that he expected to bring contentment and fulfillment and wholeness and satisfaction were gone. And it sounds like something that could have happened last week, doesn't it? But it happened a little over 1,600 years ago to a man that you and I know as St. Augustine. And when all of that was stripped away, he went back. Went back to the faith that his mom had that she tried to instill him and began to follow Jesus Christ with his life. And he wrote a book that's so important called Confessions. And in that book, he writes this line. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. And the Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi, listen, I've, I've done it all, and I've seen it all, and I've tried it all. And you want to know what the secret to contentment is? The secret to contentment is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And as St. Augustine would say to you and me, listen, I did it all, okay? I didn't meet people online, but we still figured it out back then. I did it all. And let me tell you something. My heart was totally restless until it found rest in God. And if you're young here today or you're single or you're dating right now, listen, don't lose this. Don't lose this. So many people take a break from their faith so they can date. You take a break from your faith so you can date. You're not gonna find what you're looking for there. You want constant contentment. You gotta find contentment in something that's constant. And that is God himself. I'd invite you, would you stand with me and let's pray together for a moment. And then we're gonna worship our God together. God, I thank you. I thank you for this chance to gather together this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to recognize where true contentment is found in you alone. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we go searching for it elsewhere? And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't matter how many times we have searched for contentment someplace else, how many times that we have messed this up, how many times we've gone searching in the wrong direction. God, you are ready and willing and able to forgive us through Jesus Christ and to offer us relationship with you again. So God, I pray for those in our church who are single and who are dating God, it's more tricky than ever. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower them to remember the truth of where true contentment lies and that they would not buy the lie of this world, the lie of the enemy, that contentment can be found elsewhere. God, help them to stay pure and to stay true and to stay focused on you, trusting their ultimate sense of contentment will be found in you. We love you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name.